0: I apologize for missing last week. I don't know whether you heard the story or not, but something at uh, Zoe's kitchen does not connect with my body well. And uh, on the way home from dropping Sarah Kate off at the airport to go to Indiana for her dance thing, uh, we stopped there in Cyprus, and as soon as we got in the car... I don't know if you've ever seen those movies where, like, the alien gets inside somebody and they, like, it starts to take over their body. I had that feeling. It, like, started at the top of my head, just tingling, and just all the way through. And then it started, like, the, the real alien movie where it, like, tries to come out, you know? Um, like, I was having this terrible heartburn, and I really thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know if I was going to make it home or not, and I probably made it worse because sometime in the middle of this, I realized, how am I going to preach in a couple of hours? And then it just kind of started getting worse. I was like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. So uh, we made it home. I got some medicine in me that kind of did something. Um, one of those things was put me to sleep. And so I slept through church last week, like many of you do. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding, Um, but I'm here, I'm okay, I got to get tested for something, I'm allergic to something, uh, and I'm not going to Zoe's kitchen. Okay, so um, the day before that happened, uh, I had gone to my cousin, Um, I'm a younger child of my family, like I was late, uh, surprise, whatever you want to term that. And so all my cousins are much older than me. So I went to my first cousin's um, 50th wedding anniversary. So say that, all that preface, because I don't want you to think I'm really old. I mean, I already know that you think that I'm old, but I'm not that old, okay? I'm only at 27 years. Um, But uh, him and his wife celebrated their uh, 50th wedding anniversary, and it was really cool. Uh, Her parents were there. And they were in, like, on 75th or something like that. So uh, really cool stuff. Uh, and they got married when they were really young. Uh, my cousin did. Uh, so they're, they're still fairly young. And just uh, had a, a blast, like, celebrating with all their friends. And it was really apparent as people were talking about them and sharing stories and memories about their life together, just... Uh, how great of a marriage they have and how much uh, commitment they have had both to one another uh, throughout those 50 years and just to the idea of marriage itself. It's, we're just committed to being married. Uh, and, and that's what it takes, I think, to, to make it 50 years. Uh, I, I think you've got to have both. You've got to be committed at least one of you has to be really committed to the other, um, and, uh, and you've got to be committed to just the idea of being married, because uh, it just doesn't happen, especially in our culture, in our context today, enough. And so I was uh, admiring them and, uh, and thinking about um, just what we were going to talk about and how uh, we as the body of Christ, have to be committed to one another. And so that's where, where we're headed today. Um, so I just want to ask you, like, uh, how committed are you uh, to uh, anything, really? Uh, and what limits do you have in the, in those commitments, whether it's to another person or to uh, uh, something else? And then as we talk, I want you to just let those questions kind of roll over you and seep inside you as to... Uh, it relates to the church. How committed are you to one another? Uh, And then what limits do you have uh, to go along with that? We're looking at uh, chapter four of Ephesians today. We've been in this study of Ephesians for a while and we're kind of turning a corner today in that the uh, first three chapters of Ephesians have been largely theological. They've been about God and his bigness and his awesomeness and Uh, and the power of his salvation for us. And so now Paul begins to, as he writes to these uh, early Christians, he's shifting to what what are you going to do about it, basically. Uh, And and so giving them some guidance and giving them some instruction as to how to live the Christian life as a result of who God is. Um, So the the last three chapters that, that we'll look at over the next few months are about uh, living the Christian life, so we're gonna getting into some more practical stuff. Um, so, going to be talking about church health uh, together. Um, that uh, uh, we we are in this together. That that we're gifted uniquely, purposely to do this uh, with each other and for each other, and that it's all leading to the fruit of this and the goal of this is maturity uh, in Christ as a church. So let's read. Uh, Those verses and if you don't have one of these if you haven't been with us uh, and don't have one of these There's some on that back table. Uh, Ty has some he'll hand you out Just Raise your hand and he'll get those to you. This is just our free gift to you if you don't have it We want you to have one. Also, there's some pens back there if you want to uh, Use those during during our time All right, so in chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 is where we are today of Ephesians says therefore I God, we commit uh, this time to you. These are your words uh, spoken through your people um, and and passed down to us for uh, all generations and specifically for us today. And so will you, in the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate those for us today, make them real right where we are, right what we're dealing with, and uh, may you be glorified as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, Paul starts out talking about being a prisoner in the Lord. He's used this terminology before. Uh, He says uh, in in this translation, it says a prisoner for the Lord, but literally it's translated prisoner in the Lord. Paul says, I am in Christ. Remember, that's a theme that we see over and over in Ephesians. He's calling his people out to being in Christ, and, and that's what this is all about as well as he says he's a prisoner in the Lord, for the Lord. No man is, has got the power, uh, no government, no uh, entity has the power over him that Jesus does, in other words. And so if he's captivated by anyone, it's by the Lord, not by uh, the powers that be in Rome or whatever. Uh, so uh, he, he's kind of setting the stage also to, to say, like, this is where I'm coming from. This is my reality. Like, I'm in jail right now as I write to you. Uh, some of this, uh, I can't live in the same way that you can, I think is implied here. And so uh, I think there's motivation as we look at what Paul is dealing with and what, re, what uh, he understands as truth, that we have so much more opportunity to live for the Lord uh, in ways that, that he didn't at this time in his life. So, uh, he's He's talking about a calling, and he's saying to, uh, he's urging and this is uh, that key, that word is key because we've only seen one time in all of the three chapters that we've looked at, and all of the words that's been used about god um and that's why I said we're we're shifting now to the more practical application of stuff is that we've only seen one time, and it was the word remember any kind of imperative, any kind of command to say do this all right so Uh, And that's not really a strong one, but urge is a strong one. So Paul's really notching it up now to say, okay, you need to listen. This is stuff that you have to do. All this other stuff is truth that what I'm going to be asking you to do is grounded in. But now it's your turn. Like God is awesome and he's done a lot of stuff. But I need you to listen to be able to do Accordingly, uh, as a result of who he is. So he says, I urge you to walk. We talk about walk in, in Christianity a lot, like how's your walk uh, with the Lord uh, is, is, a, is a thing, uh, is, is a term that we use that probably people outside the church don't understand what, we're, what we mean. But this is where it comes from. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. So he's emphasizing this idea of calling because he says it twice um and, and, and so again he 's just saying that all of this stuff that 's true about God is, is if you 're going to be worthy of that, then you need to live this way, and this way is characterized by humility, gentleness, patience, uh, what i 'm going to call stubborn love and and keeping the peace and so we 're going to look at those things uh, together as we talk about a healthy church being committed to unity that 's what today is all about. That we together are uh, called to be walking in a manner worthy as a church uh, that is committed to unity. So uh, the first thing that Paul says, mentions in verse two, is he, 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 he says it in a way that um, is getting more detailed in what he, what he talked about in verse one. With all humility. Paul mentions humility in every one of his letters in some way, uh, either very overtly or kind of implied. Uh, Humility is a theme that Paul likes to hammer home to the people that he's writing to. This is an idea, that the, the whole idea of humility is not something that comes natural to us and it doesn't come natural to our culture. We live in a culture today that that is all about propping ourselves up, right? It's all about uh, you being empowered, and you being strong, and you standing up for yourself and for your rights. And not all of that is bad, but we don't necessarily need to to be worried about our brands as individuals. Uh, We don't need to be um, even doing good works, even the, the opportunities that we get to be humble and do uh, selfless acts, sometimes we feel the need to post that on social media and tell everybody about it. So we just wasted the, the, the humility, uh, possibility uh, of getting that jewel in our crown by telling everybody. I, it, we, we we're saying, look at me constantly, uh, or we're thinking about ourselves way too much. And and so because we live in this kind of culture and because we're just wired to be selfish people uh, in, in the sin that we were born into, this has to be an intentional act on our part. That's why Paul is urging us to live as humble people. It has to be a change in our mindset. This has to be part of the transformation of our mind in Christ Jesus, that we uh, the, the, the word humility literally means lowliness of mind. We have to to think differently about ourselves, not how ourselves want to think, because we want to be God, basically. That's what the opposite of all this is, is we want to be in charge. We want to call the shots. We want things to work the way we want them to work. And, and so we, we operate in a very self-centered way. Tim Keller says this about uh, gospel humility. It's not thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. So some of us, we're not walking around like the most arrogant people, and, and we don't seem to struggle with that. Like, I think I'm better than everybody else, or look at me. Uh, so you may write this one off. Like, I'm pretty humble because I don't think about the, it, my myself in that way. But maybe you still think a lot about yourself. Just because... You're not arrogant. It doesn't mean that you're humble because you still may think a lot about yourself and want to take care of yourself. So uh, it's thinking of myself less is what he says. Look at what Paul writes to the, the, the church in Philippi. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's talking to this church the same way he's talking to the Ephesian church about, about unity. And he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves as a group, have this mind, not just an individual, but we should be about this. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, and and he's citing Jesus as the ultimate example here. This is what we look to uh, for uh, humility. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And Jesus was God. So if Jesus can do this, certainly we can do it, right? Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, whatever it took, even death on a cross. All right? So that's humility. uh, And it's something that we need to take seriously. And it's the first in Paul's list here. And then he moves on to say, and gentleness. Philippians 4 5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And in Matthew 1, Jesus uh, said, For I am gentle. He talked about himself being gentle. So he is our example. Gentleness is one of those fruits of the Spirit, right? Um, and, and it's really the way that we care for one another, to be gentle. So let's consider how we can be gentle as we walk in a manner worthy of the, the cause of Christ. Humility, gentleness, and then patience. With patience. Patience is something that we don't all come by naturally. (laughs) It's uh, something that that you may struggle with on a daily basis, uh, especially if you're a parent, or especially uh, if you are uh, maybe in charge of some people at work. Um, Maybe there's just like these stresses that people get to you and you find it really difficult to be patient uh, with them. Patience, the lack of patience, uh, you not having patience, me not having patience is really evidence. It's really something that that, uh, when we see this come up in ourselves, we have to take note of it because not having patience is really not having humility and it's really not having love. It's going back to that self-centeredness. We want it done our way. We have certain criteria that you have to meet. For, and if you don't meet those, then I get irritated with you. Okay, uh, That's how we function with one another, when we function without much patience. We're, we're, we're not very humble. We're not very loving. And this is key to being able to do this life together. This thing that that we call church, this this idea of being bound together in the Lord, uh, being brothers and sisters, and you know, brothers and sisters fight if you've got them. Uh, it, it's it's it, you're intimately connected in ways that that you uh, let your guard down, and so taking that analogy and and applying it uh, to all of life, uh, you may say. Um, I'm not really somebody who, like, outwardly looks like an impatient person. Like, I'm pretty good at work. I'm guarded with this. But in your heart of hearts, you know, and probably the people that you live with know, that when you get home, that all bets are off. That your patience is completely different in how you interact with your spouse or with your kids. You lose it. And I'm only saying this because I know how it feels, because I do it. And one of the, things of, one of the terrible things about preaching is that you, you, you have to come to grips with how some of this exposes you. And I've heard from more than one person in my household the comment to call me out to remind me that I don't function this way with everyone else, that in in the same way that I sometimes do at home with them, and and I think that's true of a lot of us. Uh, that that patience and really this next one, um, our gentleness too. Or I mean, you could pl- probably apply all of them. We just kind of let our guard down with the people that we're closest to, and so as we get better at doing this, we should expect that that's going to happen in. Our, our relationships with our brothers and sisters in the Lord as well. And so we have to take on the responsibility to keep growing in these areas. But the cool thing is, is that everybody else has the responsibility as well. And so they kind of are stuck with having to be patient with us as we're impatient, as they're learning. And, and so we can, in love, help each other to grow in this way. Um, Chrysostom, uh, well, first of all, uh, the first thing that 1 Corinthians 13 mentions when it talks about love is that love is patient. And we're about to talk about love, and so we can't even talk about love unless we talk about patience, because love is patience, and we have to be patient if we're going to be loving people. Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers... um, said this about patience. He, he said, it, it means having a wide and deep soul. I love that quote. To be a patient person means to have a wide and deep soul. And uh, while I can be completely uh, convicted and, uh, and honest with you guys about my lack of this sometimes, I can also praise my wife for this because she's the most patient person I know and when I see this quote and I think about uh, how she applies this uh, for us for all of our family I really appreciate that and, and I think some of you are very patient people and we need to be encouraging one another in that because we need more that we need you to rub off on the rest of us uh, so when we're jerks basically in um, your patience uh, that you, in your, with your wide and deep soul, show us uh, a better way to live. And that's the beauty of doing this together as as brothers and sisters. So patience um, then leads us to what I'm calling uh, stubborn love because Paul says bearing with one another in love. And that basically means, or, or really if you, if you get back to the original language here, Uh, literally means putting up with one another. And so we are called not just to be nice or cordial with one another. We're, We're called to put up with one another. And that's family. That's just how we're supposed to function as family. We put up with one another. We don't just get mad and take our ball and go home. We put up with one another. We don't have to like how... One another is always acting. We don't always have to have it our way, uh, but we put up with one another. Through the, the, the mistakes that they make, through the sin that they commit, we put up with one another. That's who we are in Christ. Please don't miss that. If, if uh, Central to this idea of, of doing life together, of being unified is learning to put up with one another. That's the the ethic that we try to create with with com groups, with with our small groups, is that you can share and you can be yourself and and you can uh, talk to each other uh, in, in ways that you may be like totally messing up uh, that, that that you're you're speaking out of uh, out of turn or, or saying something that maybe. Is wrong or that you shouldn't have uh, in, in those settings or in just relationships with one another in general. But the idea is that we don't quit coming, that we're back together the next week and we're saying, I love you and I'm going to put up with you and I'm going to bear with you and I'm going to give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance because we are committed to this together. That's the way we do church. If we're not doing it that way, then it's not church, according to Paul. And we need to quit fooling ourselves. It's not about our feelings. It's stubborn love because it's a decision. It's an effort. It's, I'm not going away. I'm not going to let you offend me so much that I will avoid you even in worship, or even at a party or whatever, that, that we'll find ways to not be in comm group together next, next, next fall. That, that's not church. That's something else, but it's not church. And we can kind of quasi-function and call ourselves that, but I, I'm telling you, God is not pleased with that, and we're going to see later uh, how serious he is about this. It's not a feeling, it's a decision. You maybe don't, maybe right now, don't feel like loving someone else in this room. It may be your spouse. It may be somebody in your comm group. It may be me. It may be another elder. Get over it. Get over it. That's not who we're called to be. Bear with one another in love put up with one another be stubborn about it don't let one another go first peter 4:8 says above all keeping love uh, keep loving one another earnestly stubbornly fight for it don't give up since love covers a multitude of sins and that's so right if, if we can put love above everything else that we're feeling or the way that, that, that this is going for us, we, that, that sin that's been uh, committed against us even can be covered by Jesus' love. We love because he first loved us. If we've been loved, if he can do it with us, surely we can pass it on to somebody else. This is basically the second phase of what he talked about in chapter three of being rooted and grounded in love. This is the application of that. Like you you were planted in love. You were birthed in love in this new birth in Christ. Now go blossom, grow into that. That's what the application is right here. Um, Our our, uh, church covenant is full of one another statements because the Bible is full of one another statements. And that's what this is about. We are a, a relational religion, Christianity. We, we, we are by nature relational. Uh, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit relate to one another. They choose to relate to us to bring us into that. And we are called to relate to one another in the midst of that as evidence of his love uh, for the world. So let's not miss that one. Uh, be stubborn in your love. And then finally, um, oh, this is a... The, the message version, and I, I love what, the way he puts it here. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Okay, so uh, the last one is peacekeeping. Um, that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We're, we're bound to peace, like a prisoner, like Paul uh, being a prisoner. We're bound to the idea of being peacekeepers. We cannot escape the necessity of peace among one another. We have to be about striving for it. It's not just going to happen, that we keep the peace. And and it's key here that we understand that we're keeping the peace. We're not manufacturing the peace. The peace was already brought to us in Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, we saw uh, Paul say, For he himself is our peace. He has already established peace among us. He has already established unity among us. We are keeping it. We're maintaining it. We're not having to to make it up. And that's an important theological note for us as we kind of carry this out. Okay, so uh, verses one through three tell us that being committed to unity means that there are certain things that we must practice, all those things we just talked about. And then uh, the the last three verses are going to, show us that being committed to unity means believing the gospel together because he says there is one body, there's seven ones here, one for each day of the week if you want to just isolate that and make it part of your your time with the Lord uh, on a different day each week. One body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Our unity, in other words, is birthed, from our theology. We believe this. We believe these seven things to be true. That's where our unity comes from. Everything that we have, everything that's important, everything that's good and right about who we are in Christ, we have that with one another. We share that with one another. And yes, we share that with all believers. And, and certainly we need to make application to this to the church to our brothers and sisters uh, anywhere and everywhere. But the important thing to know here is, is that we have to get this right with this little group of people. I mean, if we can't, we're, we've, we've made like certain kinds of commitments and we have certain just practical ways that we're able to live this out on a, in a, in a, uh, a, a more um, real way with one another than we can with just everybody. Uh, so... If we can't get it right in here with one another, then how are we gonna really do it with anybody else? And this isn't, like we're not here because we, we match each other so well. Like nobody got on like match.com to, to find the church of your dreams, right? And, and discovered that that all these other, you know, 70, 80 people uh, line up perfectly with me. And then we're gonna have, you know, we're gonna live happily ever after in church. No, you found out, uh, maybe this last month, uh, that things aren't as great as you thought they were, right? Uh, That that we don't just always agree, that we don't always get along. That's not the point of it. It's like, what do we do with that stuff when it happens? What are we committed to beyond the things that come up that are going to keep us in it together? That commitment to Maybe you know when we don't feel it for one another, we still feel it for the Lord, and we believe, we believe that in Jesus, that we all those things can be overcome, that we can live together uh, in in a way that honors Jesus. Um, It's not just about unity either, okay? It's unity in Christ. So don't just be committed for the sake of being committed. Be committed to the Lord. Uh, That unity is the most important. So Paul is saying, if we have the same Lord, if we believe the same good news about him, if we have experienced the same reality of being redeemed by him, then how can we not be unified? How can we not be unified? Yet we are. Um, We we do struggle with this as as, uh, a local body of believers, as well as the church. Definitely struggles with this from time to time. I'm going to run through uh, for the sake of time uh, I want you to write these down uh, And go back and look at them I really wish we had time to look at them But we don't um, th- The thought here is That we too often choose to focus on our differences Instead of the things That that uh, bring us together The important things that we have in common in Jesus And uh, we, we see in John 17 That Jesus prayed For us to be one For, for there to be unity uh, John 17, 20 through 23, and then in 1 Corinthians 1, 10, he's talking about divisions, and uh, he's not happy about it. He doesn't want there to be division in the church uh, of Corinth, and they were divided over all kinds of things. I mean, just go through and read all of that, that, that they could not agree on, and he's saying um, that there's quarreling among you, and we've got to do something about that, because Christ is not divided. And then in, in Matthew uh, chapter 5, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talks about you know, our worship. Like we, we can't really, in other words, do this well. If we know someone's got something against us, we need to make peace. We need to find a way to, to make it right. And st- uh, That's more important to him than you coming to worship. Like if you needed to spend time today in making things right with one another instead of singing, like that would have been a better use of your time because the worship is kind of like, uh, it's not really falling in the right place because that's the elephant in the room for for Jesus. Get that taken care of. And then 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 17, where he is uh, also talking about divisions in the church and he's relating this uh, to a... Um, the, the example of, of some things that were happening with the Lord's Supper, and we're about to take the Lord's Supper together We're about to, to share in communion together and there is uh, nothing that we do that Uh, brings all this to uh, a a real point of emphasis more so than the Lord's Supper because we come together to be one, to take from the same cup, to take from the same loaf, to be reminded that we all believe and that we all receive that Jesus was our eternal sacrifice, that we live for him, that we understand that he is the one who brings forgiveness of our sins. So, We've got to be eager for this. Uh, It it can't be a passive existence. We've got to be eager for unity. We we can't give up. Uh, Hebrews 10 is another one of those verses to look up um, because we've got to consider how we can do better at at this. So here's the application. This will be online uh, in the next couple of days if you don't get it all. Um, But uh, the first thing that we need to do is to evaluate ourselves, our lives, and repent where we need to. And that looks like being eager for unity. Am I, am I really, uh, or am I just eager for unity when it's my kind of unity? Like when, when I understand that it should be this way and then, then everybody else should be unified with me. Uh, is that the only way we're eager for it? Uh, have I been more self-centered lately than humble? Do I tend to treat others with gentleness or have I been kind of harsh with my words or actions? Has my soul been wide and deep with patience, or have I been easily frustrated with the mistakes of others, or the ways in which they don't measure up to my expectations? Maybe you can apply this to yourself as well, that you're easily frustrated with yourself. Do I make an intentional effort to think the best of others, or to put up with them, or to forgive them because I love them, or am I more about finding fault? Uh, Being critical, finding myself avoiding people or just prone to give up on relationships too easy. Do I care about being at peace with my brothers and sisters more than I care about being right? Those are some practical things to look at uh, as we evaluate ourselves. And then we need to highlight our oneness with one another. We need to pray for unity. And we need to remember that we have already made a commitment to one another to walk in unity. That's what we did when we became members. So as we close uh, and uh, we're going to sing a song that is kind of an oldie, but a goodie uh, that uh, is straight from this scripture, um, and then we're going to share communion together. I just want to make four quick pastoral observations about this. I believe that there is nothing that we can't find unity on, if we need to. And the key is if we need to. If the spirit needs us to be unified on something, we can be unified. Absolutely, firmly believe that. We can unpack that at another time, but I um, just want to make that observation. I believe that you all want this. I believe that's why you're here. I believe that's why you made the commitment that you did to one another. You want to live this way. The world wars against us in this, so and, and our flesh wars against it. Go back to that. Um, you, I know you want to do this. I believe, and I think we do do it for the most part. I believe that the difficulties that we have had with this, whether it's in the past month or the past few years, whatever, uh, I believe that those have matured us. I believe that we're better for going through some of this together. And through our commitment, we're still here with one another, trying to put up with each other, to, to get better at this, to help one another grow and I'm thankful for that. And I believe that if we let our love for Jesus and for one another prevail, then we're gonna bear much fruit together, that our worship's gonna be better, that our calm groups are gonna be better, that our individual relationships, that our relationships within our family, our parenting, our marriages are gonna be better, and our missional efforts and our ministry in the world around us and our ability to share the good news about Jesus is gonna be better. Let's stay committed to this idea of being unified. Let's sing about it. Let's celebrate it together as we take the Lord's Supper and and let's go forth and do it together. Amen.